with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right. Good foggy morning, Prince George. Uh, Trudy Clausen here. Good to talk to you. So this morning, I'm very pleased to uh, have again uh, John Brink. We did not finish our conversation last time, so John very graciously agreed to come back. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, I know that you've got a bunch of stuff that you want to talk about, but I was just listening to your podcast uh, where you had the Swedish uh, gentleman on, and I was like, wow, there is so much that we can learn from them. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Or Which do you want to... Is that, uh, the the uh, forest, that for, the forestry group that tours, that, that comes to tour in uh, British the Columbia. Yes, the Swedes. Yeah, interesting question that you asked me that. Uh, yeah, the, uh, <clears throat> the Swedes are interesting because uh, the people are, that are on the tour, around 50 or so in a bus, uh, that uh, are different people that are either active in the industry or were active in the industry. Most of the people are directly related to the industry, either uh, in usually management positions or in operational positions. And, uh, and the fellow that organizes is John Hedberg. And uh, I've known him probably for 10, 12, 13 years or so. Mm-hmm. And I've done that virtually every year, save and except for COVID. Right. And... <clears throat> so what, um, I mean, so you're the owner of a, what do you call, pro- wood, wood manufacturing? Yeah, lumber manufacturing Lumber plant. manufacturing plant. Yeah. So what, what, did you, were you the one that instigated their trip to come to Prince George, or were you just part of a group that asked them, or how was that done? Uh, no, actually they contacted me, okay. uh, you know, because I'm fairly active yes. in the industry, obviously on the media, and already have been for a long time. And then uh, the other part was is likely, uh, you know, I'm, I've been very, very active in value-added manufacturing. Yes. Or how do we add more value to our fiber? Yes. And then the other part about it, uh, interesting of it, uh, Trudy, was likely that uh, I already, I've been in the industry since I was 14. So I'm 83, nearly 83 now. That's nearly 69 years. And part of that was in Holland. And part of it I spend as well in Sweden. Okay. from time to time yes. so I, I have some familiarity with right. the European uh, industry and then uh, developed that relationship with uh, Jan Hedberg in particular that by doing tours of Western Canada and he contacted me and then from the first point forward uh, obviously I have a lot of experience in the BC forest industry yes. especially in northern BC because I've been in Prince George since 1965 can you believe it nearly close to 60 years as well and uh, uh, you know and and then I know the industry well so I provided them with a tour yes and uh, so not only do we have uh, a dialogue and usually a dinner and we talk about the general things but I also take them on a tour in the bus Usually, and as we go through the Prince George region, we talk about the industry, the particular locations, and and those kind of things. So, what I was just struck uh, listening to them talking. Uh, I think what they said is that Sweden has one percent of the land base. Uh, forest land base, and yet they provide five percent of the lumber for the world. And I was just struck by, okay, so what are they doing right? What what are the things that like just listening to them, they had they seem to have quite a bit of a number of ideas, and 
And they did point out that while we have been, uh, I think their first Forestry Act came into play in 1905, which is a lot longer than ours, correct? Correct, yeah. So they've had more time, uh, obviously, to develop their forest industry. Um, what are sort of your takeaways? What what are what is probably the most important thing that um, because public policy is driven by the people and and by in in and especially in BC here where our most of our forest is owned by the crown. What do people need to know about better ways of doing things? So interestingly enough, Trudy, is that there are uncanny similarities between us and Sweden in particular. We have in BC about 22 million hectares of forest land designated to the working forest. Uh, The Swedes have something exactly similar to ours, and they have gone through a period about 40, 50 years ago. The other part that I should point out that is very critical to it is that NBC, probably 96, 97, 98% of the forest is owned by you and me, the people, Mm -hmm. and is managed by the crown, NBC, where in Sweden, Probably the crown has something like 10 or 20 percent. Mm-hmm. Part of it is private, public uh, to a certain extent, but also uh, communities and regions. So the ownership structure distinctly different. Can we change that? Can we change how it's done in BC? Because it appears to me that that is part of because they were talking a lot about the incentive factor. And any time that you have uh, people in Victoria making policy for the rest of the province, um, the incentive factor seems to be a little bit gone. Can we change? Can we change how we like the ownership structure to to provide more value for British Columbians? So, the force policy framework is already laid down for a long, long time, going mm-hmm. back to the 40s into the 50s and the 60s. And then from there on in, we developed a 10-year system in which we made allocations yes. of annual allowable cut to yes. certain operations that then kind of semi, not owned it, but had the renewable licenses for volume. Yes, but that hasn't seemed to properly incentivize companies to rebuild and to manage those forests to the way that Sweden does. These are all delicate questions in terms of uh, they need a good answer to it or a correct answer. Is the reason for it, in my opinion, to a certain extent, is that our tenure system is volume-based. So if I have X amount of volume-based, it does not give me the incentive like you have on farmland. That's your farmland. The better you manage it, the higher yield you likely will get, and you will get the the benefits from it. In our system, by and large, that is not the case. So the the tenure systems are usually volume-based, by and large. So the incentive isn't there. No, because the danger is then if you invest, you will not have the results of it. It's one of the areas that uh, I question about force policy, but it has been in place for so long already, relatively speaking, that to change it is difficult and delicate. 
and then the other changed, the other delicate area that we have, all due respect, I'm apolitical, and uh, but we in BC in particular, we change government or we have elections usually around every four years or so. And then we elect governments, and in BC in particular, we are right of center or we are left of center usually, and the policies are distinctly different in a lot of cases. And that then means that we have a government that comes in, if there is a change of government going from right of center to left of center, then that means they will appoint another minister of forest, a new premier, and forest policy then will become a question again. The interest groups that are behind the political system are, have certain agenda points that they want to pursue. And, and then that either changes or maintains the status quo. And so then the other thing that then happens is that usually another four years of the new government being in, the new minister is being appointed. Then we usually have a minister for about two years and then we have to appoint another minister of forest. So. So there is no continuity, there is no set framework that looks at the longer term. So, I mean, Sweden has elections. Yeah, but the, the, the force policy, by and large, is not part of government uh, policy, uh, government direction. So how did they... How did they avoid that problem then? How, like, like you said that they, they went through the same as we did, yeah, probably about were... forty, fifty years okay, ago. Yeah. So that their timber base was diminishing to the extent that uh, it became a real problem in terms of uh, manufacturing plants were shut yes. down, and there was just simply not enough timber. So they changed the policy and then looked at forest policy in terms of the longer term, and they implemented collectively in different stakeholders that thinning of the forest from growth, they growing the amount of timber. So and that- then after uh, a number of years, they thinning it. And usually they have up to three cycles of thinning to allow the timber to mature. But is the effect of it is that the growth per hectare in Sweden versus what we have here is probably at least 50% more than we have. And and even if you make allowances for our colder weather? Uh, it's not unsimilar to what we see okay. in Sweden, actually, uh, northern Sweden in particular. So yeah. they have the same issues as we have. Uh, you know, it probably takes, uh, uh, depending on where you are in Sweden, in the south part, uh, which is the north, 40, 50, 60 years to grow fiber. There is, the, the, the species, uncannily, are very similar to ours. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, so where are we? So the question has been a lot of times, are we growing enough fiber? Yes, we are. We are probably for every tree that, and I'm talking mainly interior, coast to a certain extent, but coast is distinctly different in the interior, is that we, for every tree that we harvest or knock down, we plant three new ones. So we're doing that part right. But then intensive forestry in terms of no different than your farming or whatever you do, then it needs tending after that, like like, like yes. getting it to a free to grow standard, and 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 so uh, they thinning one two three cycles through the growth of the the fiber. And that- so 
increases the the or it decreases the amount of time it takes to grow the tree. Correct. Yeah. And 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 a better quality. And a better quality. So what have they got in, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, so what happened then? They were probably, where we are right now, the annual allowable cut normally in, in British Columbia was around 60 million cubic meters annually. Yes. We had in 2005 about 115 sawmills mm-hmm. in the province of British Columbia. So then what happened is pine beetle pandemic yeah. came in, spruce beetle, and they lifted up to as high as close to 90 million, 80, 85 million, 90 million cubic meters annually. <clears throat> they did that for about 10, 15 years. Yes. And about a billion cubic meters was harvested, uh, uh, that stember, this spruce beetle. And so <clears throat> what they then, what that meant that at some point the annual allowable cut would come down. And it did. Where we are now today is probably in the area of 50 to 60 million mm-hmm. cubic meters. <clears throat> Harvesting of the volume is closer to 50 or less than that. Uh, because a, a portion of it has been set aside for other reasons. And so we are now, in 2005, we would have close to 115 sawmills in BC. We are now down to about 60 to 65. Yeah. The likelihood is that it will continue. There is still too much capacity versus uh, availability of timber. The likelihood is that by uh, uh, 2030, we'll probably be down to about 30 to 35 sawmills in BC. Oh, yeah, and that's reminding me about some, like on that podcast where you're talking with them, is that whole idea of um, how differently we market um, and how like, there's so much that... So let me go a little bit further to yeah. lay out the difference. So then all of a sudden, but we then have... 30 to 35, uh, or uh, 20, 30, 35, we have about 35 to 40 sawmills left in BC. That's the prediction. Right now, we are probably closer to about 60, 65. So about 45 to 50 sawmills already have closed down, not to be reopened. So then the other part that it will affect us by that for every four or five sawmills will shut down uh, there is too much capacity on the pulp side and already as we know in Prince George one of the pulp mills shut down I would predict another one will start to shut down and the only one that will remain my view uh, just only my view I have no yeah. particular information other than what I know about the industry there is still, still too much capacity on the pulp mm-hmm. side and to access economically viable fiber uh, you know the uh, these mills were built in the mid 60s that uh, they will lose probably another one hmm. the other so that means and then the next one is pellet plants the pellet fuel plants yes uh, not enough fiber, fiber to available them. yes the, uh, most of the fuel uh, the pellet plants have been sold to pinnacle and pinnacle sold to drax you and a uh, uh, European company. All right. Well, it's uh, we'll continue this conversation right after the, this break. Give your morning a boost with some sounds from above with Songs in the Chapel Sunday mornings at 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM. Join me, Corey Walker, as I fill the airwaves with the sounds of heavenly gospel music. I feature a mixture of traditional country, bluegrass, southern, and black gospel, and even a little bit of worship and contemporary Christian music. 
Inspiring messages from the Salvation Army's Heartbeat series is featured in every show. A songs and Chapel Sunday morning at 9, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location, or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George on Central Street West and Vance Road. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today with a high of 16. Tonight clear, fog developing after midnight and a low of zero. For Friday, mainly sunny and a high of 14. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back here with John Brink, owner of Brink Forest Industries. Uh, John, if you can just finish painting that picture of of uh, up to where we are today. So, as I said earlier, the uh, for every five sawmills that go down, you see about a one pulp mill. So there is still realignment happening in that area. The same has happened with pellet plants. Uh, they have been sold to a company in Europe, Drugs, that bought Pinnacle, and more consolidation there. The other part that I have not mentioned too much about is that the value-added manufacturing sector, which I'm a deep believer in that mm-hmm. in the future, and without going into much detail at this particular point in the discussion, that area has been very much diminished as well. We used to have, I was the founding president of the BC Council of Value-Added Wood Processes in the late 80s, early 90s for about 10 years. And, and we had as many as 800 companies in the value-added sector and eight associations across the province. Unfortunately, because of forest policy, in particular in uh, early 2000 by the B.C. Liberals, then uh, they uh, passed legislation and uh, made changes to forest policy that directly and indirectly resulted in uh, slowly diminishing the value-added sector in the province to where we have very little value-added left today. North of Hope. That is 90% of the timber in the province of British Columbia. I believe we have less than three or four, five, six maybe value-added plants, of which at least three of them uh, likely will disappear in the next couple of years. So very, very serious, and mm-hmm. that directly relates to forest policy. But I want to go one step further on the other discussion. The, the other part in terms of... What is the underlying problem other than we are not growing enough fiber or we can do more on growing fiber by changing policy is that the cost of harvesting timber here is higher than it is in a lot of other cases. Okay, Mm -hmm. give me an example. Uh, So a cubic meter of timber here, uh, 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 you know, that is being either 10-year or in the open market could go for as high as $120 to $150 a cubic meter. Mm -hmm. 
If you had to buy timber on the incremental timber in the open market, it could go as high as $200 per cubic meter. Mm-hmm. Today, the market of 2 by 4 dimension, which is the main products being manufactured by the primary sector, is around $380, $85 per thousand board feet. That means that most of the industry that our primary manufacturers are underwater. Yes. They're losing money. I would say as high as 200 to $300 a thousand. That is simply not uh, sustainable. No, not at all. So as a result of that, what will happen is that we already have seen closure of sawmills. And I know the uh, Canfor made an announcement. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But the, the still further closure of sawmills. I believe that it's still too much capacity right now. Uh, closure of subsequently pulp mills, closure of pellet plants, and elimination and closure of value-added manufacturing. Oh, my. So, and I'm trying to get to the point where there is hope looking yes. forward. I will get <laughs> well, to we, that if we have so enough time. So, have, the, yeah, so, you, so yeah. the the other part to, to remember is that other things happening, consolidation. You will see primary manufacturers making okay. other arrangements with others wherever possible by legislation, obviously, and, and owner of timber. Mm-hmm. You will see that happening. Recently, we have seen West Fraser timber. Uh, most of the Major primaries, the five, six major primaries that own most of or have tenure of most of the, have invested in other places, southern uh, United States as well as in in, in Europe. I want to make a point here is that that is already happening and has been happening for quite a while. Yes. But in the near term, what has been happening is that West Fraser sold two of their pulp mills to a company called Atlas Holdings, mm-hmm. a U.S. company that is their pulp mill in Quanell and the one in Slave Lake. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because it shows another consolidation on the pulp side. Yes. So by paper excellence, Chinese-owned company primarily, already are one of the major global competitors on pulp. Atlas is another company, although we haven't heard too much about them, are very aggressive, very big in terms of operational uh, in different areas. I believe that further consolidation and further sales of additional pulp capacity or closure will happen, including Ampere Shorts. And, and I believe that I would not be surprised, and I'm somewhat speculating, and the reason that I'm doing is that the, the biggest force companies in British Columbia are West Fraser and Canfor. Both of them are extensively owned by the largest shareholder is uh, Jimmy Patterson, mm-hmm. who owns 50%, 51% of Canfor and about 11% of West Fraser. Yes. Obviously, he was, uh, he's the largest shareholder in West Fraser. And obviously, he must have been involved in, in the decision-making process Correctly so, uh, as to where, where do we go with the pulp side, where do we go with the lumber side. And, and so I can see that being the case, there is still problems on the pulp side. So I see further activity yes. there. I would speculate that would happen. So that all being said then, <laughs> 
John, <laughs> where do we go from here? Well, exactly, because it sounds well, very bleak. Because let me start. Let yeah. me start here. Is that I believe we are still very, very fortunate. We live in the best place in the world, obviously. Yes. Especially today, as we look around the world, it's uh, it's it's horrible and terrible. Some of the things that are happening is that British Columbia is still not for very long anymore. One of the largest producers of lumber. In Canada, the likelihood we will be taken over by Quebec being the largest producer. We're producing somewhere less than 5 billion board feet and somewhere south of that, actually, of lumber in the province. Mm. So, but then it's also a place of opportunity. And again, it depends on what what activities will government, BC government, take as we go forward. So, you know what, it's already time for another break, so I think this is a good place to uh, to take that break, and we'll be back after these messages. Local author Hilary Crowley is back in Prince George to launch her latest book, Mini Saga in South Africa. Be on hand at 7, Saturday, October 28th, in art space above Books and Company for readings, a slideshow, light refreshments, meet the author, and pick up your copy of this intriguing story of Crowley's African travels. The book launch for Mini Saga in South Africa by Hilary Crowley, 7 o'clock Saturday, October 28th, at ArtSpace. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats. Founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982, Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available on most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. North Edge Ice Sports has moved. You can now find all your recreational and competitive figure skating skates and accessories at Quebec and 3rd. While there, purchase roller skates or inline skates so you can skate all year round. Stop by and check out the assortment of outfits and accessories as you get ready for the coming season. Open from 10 to 5, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, 9 to 2, Saturday. North Edge Ice Sports, in the Q3 building, Kitty Corner, to the Farmer's Market at Quebec and 3rd. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. We uh, back with John Brink. Uh, John, uh, continuing from where we left off, talking about the current state and where do we go from here? So, the worst encouragement with the NDP government, and particularly John Oregon, in 20, I think it was in June of 2019, where it showed, obviously they were aware of this industry is changing in a direction that, likely is not very helpful for us in British Columbia in terms of what we want to do. Mm-hmm. We have this beautiful timber, the beautiful fiber, we're losing jobs and investment. What do we do to turn that around? So they developed a policy of what they call the intentions paper. And the intentions paper was based on how do we get more involvement of First Nations, mm-hmm. how do we become more sensitive to exporting of logs and preserving of old growth timber, 
And then the third one was how do we stimulate investment and value-added manufacturing Mm -hmm. and adding more social and economic value to the resource. Yeah, I mean, now they're talking a lot about mass timber. Yeah. But, I mean, is that... Okay, yeah, just continue. A form of value-added manufacturing. Unfortunately, what has happened to the intentions paper oh. that, uh, you know, that, uh, and I, I spoke to it, actually. I was, uh, there was somebody from labor, there was somebody from First Nations, and then somebody from industry, and I was the only one that spoke to it, uh, endorsing that policy. And I said that I believe that industry will change. It will change direction, and we will see innovative primary. That's what will happen inevitably. That's the direction we'll go in combination with intensive secondary. Innovative primary, to me, means that the primary sector has to become more competitive Produce, not become a two by four culture company. Companies right, because when you're saying more competitive, all I'm hearing is cutting costs, but that's not what you mean. No, adding more value right. uh, in other products and using rather than just making two by fours and trying to sell them to people that don't want them and getting uh, and the ups and downs is finding more value. So the other part that I said then is that I believe the industry will look that the the primary sector will become smaller less companies and the companies the actual new companies that will build will become much more innovative more technology the mills will be smaller example can for houston and they will and this is the key part they will employ much less people where you were used to have 200 people you now maybe have 40 that will run the whole operation Canfor's operation, good example. They do about three hundred fifty thousand cubic meters as uh, 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 board feet annually, which is about mm-hmm. one third of what they were doing before, about half of what they were doing before. Uh, there is another example of those kind of mills: uh, Hampton built one and in in uh, Fortune James. So their mills will be smaller. The other part about it, which I believe is critical, is that the, if they produce a hundred percent of lumber. of that will go up the value chain, the bottom 25% for further manufacturing, and the top 25% will go up the value chain, mass timber, and all the other kind of things fall into that category. The in-between 50% go into the standard uh, uh, housing market, and uh, so that's, in my opinion, what the industry will look like. Unfortunately, what appears to be the case is that because of pressure by the status quo at uh, Kofi and others to maintain the status quo, which means that the primaries control the timber and they keep selling the lumber no matter what the price is, whatever they want to. And there is no sensitivity to further investment and you will not get investment in value-added manufacturing unless there is a reasonable expectation of access to fiber. So what's what's in it? To, like why? I mean, what's your involvement with Kofi? Why are, um, if any, and why are they uh, resistant to that change? Like, where's the motive? Like, I mean, surely, if there's a time for innovation, it should be now, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to beat up on Kofi because I was the longest member uh, and longest on the board of directors, and I was the vice chair. I resigned in April when I when we had strategic differences. Kofi is controlled by the major companies, mainly Canfor and Best Fraser, and then a few other ones, uh, three or four Jimmy companies. Patterson? 
by me. So basically, Jimmy Patterson. <laughs> well, uh, I, I I have a lot of respect for Jimmy Patterson, yes, I and know, I, yeah. I uh, you know, and uh, you know, but so that's where coffee is less and less in touch. So the intentions but- paper that was laid out by. Uh, John Oregon saying we must add more social and, and economic value to the fiber. We must include, include First Nations. We have done that to a certain extent. It must go further in my opinion. We must include communities and regions and stakeholders because if I go down the proud Fort, N- Fort Nelson, mm-hmm. Fort St. John, uh, Chetwin, Prince George, Fraser Lake, uh, you know, Terrace. hey yeah. guys, you know, you got to be involved. And the problem now is that in a lot of cases I'm the only one that fights the battle and saying uh, no more no longer become involved and 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 say and looking forward that's really what I'm trying to get to is saying we have the best fiber in the world here we have like Sweden I gave you an example of it here is Sweden has the same amount of timber and what happened to Sweden after they didn't have enough timber they started Treating it like a, a, a farm like is a, that like a you, crop. yeah, and and so they are growing now. They they had the same amount of fiber as we had uh, the annual albacore in that area. Now, where we are at forty or fifty million cubic meters annually, they are at double that, double. Wow. From the same land base, and and so and where is their problem? Their problem is is that they don't have enough fiber, or not enough capacity because they got too much fiber. Oh my! And their market prices, where we are right now, struggling because we two by fours are selling for three hundred and eighty five dollars per thousand. It costs us about right. six hundred to to make them. And Sweden is producing of a lot more value-added manufacturing. The mills are smaller there. They're more focused on certain markets and niches, and so it's structurally different. The, the frustration, Trudy, to me has been substantially is that I've been so involved in this for the last 60 years, my life. I've never taken a nickel from government. Never asked for anything from them. Built a number of companies throughout Northern British Columbia. Never got a nickel from government. I don't want any money from them. But proposals that I've made to government. Recently, I I, I was asked to make a proposal to the uh, to the premier and the minister of forest. I don't even get a response. They drive by my plant visiting Prince George. They don't even stop by. I'm probably the largest. Second day manufacturing in the province of British Columbia, certainly the one that has been, it's politics. Because, I mean, we keep hearing, I mean, you know, in the media or everywhere, we hear these buzzwords, mass timber and value-added manufacturing, and it's like, oh, my goodness. There is no way in the world that you will attract capital from investors unless there is a reasonable expectation of access to fiber. Yeah. And and to get government handouts and subsidies, that doesn't work. And (laughs) and I certainly don't want it. And in all the 50 years that I've been in business, I've never taken a nickel from government and I don't want it but the presentation that I've, I've made I'm well respected in the industry I know that and and but at least I'm expecting to get a response mm-hmm. from Mr. Ebi and saying thank you for your letter and we'll look at it thank you have a nice day not even a word and I'm apolitical 
you know, mm-hmm. I am not uh, uh, the right wing or this. Uh, no, I want the best for British Columbia. But uh, it seems that frustration on their part, or maybe they're being too dominated by a few stakeholders, is that it lacks long-term strategic thinking. That's mm-hmm. what is lacking right now. And what I want to see uh, through the, is to have communities and regions to be more proactive in understanding and be proactive in where do we want to go? What does it look like? What do we have to do to put policies in place, at least in an area based at Prince George? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, uh, I know you are on the city council and, uh, you know, is that is a leadership community has shown that leadership, but I want to see them more being more proactive because the, as we speak, the industry is in transition and you need to be involved and at least in an overall view as to what should it look like, how will it affect Prince George? Because right now, 90% of the timber north of Hope, they're only Less than half a dozen secondary manufacturers, yes, yeah. and and half of them likely be gone in about the four or five years, and the other half would likely wish that they were out. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's time for another break. We'll be back talking with John Brink after this. How would you interpret famous paintings such as the Mona Lisa or the Scream? If you're between the ages of 10 and 18, the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library is giving you a chance to find out. October 24th is the next session of Famous Paintings, when the library gives young people the opportunity to interpret the old masters in a new way. It's a free drop-in event. Famous Paintings, October 24th from 3.30 to 4.15 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. The B.C. Chamber of Commerce invites you to take in the 2023 Small Business Week Summit. Get informed next week in conversations that will address some of the most important issues facing small and medium-sized businesses so you're equipped to navigate today's uncertain business environment and harness its opportunities. Tickets are complimentary with each session available via Zoom. Registration and full details are available through bcchamber.org. The 2023 Small Business Week Summit, next week via Zoom. The Prince George Council of Seniors is looking for host agencies to assist with the Golden Age Social. The host agency provides snacks, table prizes, and decorations for the event, which allows seniors to have social interactions with other seniors, important to their well-being and mental health. If your agency is interested in hosting a Golden Age Social, contact Lindsay at the Council of Seniors by emailing info at pgcos.ca or call the Council of Seniors at 250 564-5888. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today with a high of 16. Tonight clear. Fog developing after midnight and a low of zero. For Friday, mainly sunny and a high of 14. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay. All right. Uh, Trudy Claussen here back with uh, John Brink talking about um, the forest industry, obviously. And John, you were saying that you supported the intention paper that that uh, highlighted more and indi- more involvement by the indigenous indigenous communities. And you've also said that you want cities and, and regional districts and regions to be more involved in changing how we do forestry. Can we expand on that a little bit? So. The key here, uh, Trudy, is that obviously the industry is still in further 
change. Transition yeah. and change and smaller. And as they rebuild, Canford is an example, Hampton is an example, that, as I said before, innovative primary, that means more technology, smaller mills being more effective in terms of the quality of timber that he had, making products that are more acceptable and profitable in the marketplace. That's what they are trying to do, and that's the right thing to do. But innovative primary must be in combination with innovative secondary manufacturing, and that in order to do that, primaries, even in the proposal that Canfo made, uh, does not include mass timber or anything like that. Then at least work with existing or new investment in value-added manufacturing. There's lots of people that would be get involved, the capital that would get involved, but there has to be a reasonable expectation of access to fiber. Which example would be... That's the bottleneck, right? That's the problem. The problem that we have, we have a company in Houston, uh, Pleasant Valley Remanufacturing, used to employ 75 people. Right next door, another company, I can't speak for them. They can speak for themselves. It's DDH Manufacturing. They used to have 75 as well, I would think. That's 150 people in Houston that used to be involved. Anybody from government talk to you, John? No, they don't care. <laughs> did the premier, after you asked him about it, or the minister of forest asked about it? No. Did, did, you know, and, and, and so 150 people, the, the ratio is usually two to one. Mm-hmm. So you can look at it for every direct job to indirect. That, that is 300, yeah. 450 people. And, and, and I'm, I don't want to be, beat up on the premier of the province. I have no particular liking one way, but at least respond to our request of at least being part of the dialogue. We're not even part of the dialogue. We're not even being invited, although they bend all over, with all due respect to Jimmy Patterson and all those other people, they all bend all over the place to, to accommodate them. They are investing in other places. We are sitting here. We're still trying to em- employ 400 people. Here. And we don't even get a response to a, a letter. And, and, and so that's why I'm saying that and looking at here the, 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 the city the city council become more proactive because the uh, do we have potential? Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. We got we we still got one of the largest forests, no different than Sweden. We can grow more fiber per hectare. There are supposed to be changes that are no brainers. This is not reinventing the wheel, but at least become proactive in it and saying what can we do not handouts and subsidies to any, or favoring one over the other. But we, we must do something different than making two-by-fours for a market that doesn't want them. But how do you direct that when, when we've awarded the te- forest tenure to so few companies who seem to have no issue with shutting down mills here and investing elsewhere because their old business model isn't working anymore for the situation that we have here. How can we get out of that? How can we change that direction? Maybe this might, the problem that I'm having, I dare to say in, in the presentation that I made to the Premier that going as far as that I believe the time has come to 
change the tenure system mm-hmm. and, and to dismantle the, the tenure system as we know it. And, uh, you know, and, and that, that with the, and, and the ones that have, we have a, a culture that the haves and the do not haves. Mm-hmm. You can, t- and I say this respectfully because a lot of these guys are my friends. They don't like a lot of times what I say, maybe, but you know, you can call them anything that you want. But as soon as you say, I'm going to reduce your tenure system, then you go like, <gasps> Yeah, so yes. that that is the 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 heel that the delicate, but that's may well be it, and we have to become economically viable. Well, I mean that's the thing in right? the global marketplace, and and I would say that just like broadly speaking, from sort of a more bird's eye view, it's like we we want to grow and to have an industry that we are proud of, because that will attract people, that will. Um, build community pride and all of that. And so it just seems that the time is ripe for those changes. Those are part of it. The other part of it, Trudy, is that, and that is one of the problems that in the time that I've been at Prince George and operated businesses nearly 50 years, you know, access to a skilled workforce is a challenge. We must look at, that's why I got so involved in the College of New Caledonia, uh, uh, the John A. Brank Trace and, and, and uh, uh, you know, the uh, center is that we have to do more about that. We should, we, what we have been steadily doing, even recently we invested $200 million in BCIT. I like BCIT, but it's so giant, so large. We have to say we need a center of excellence here because what will deter people from investing here is other than the obvious is also access to skilled workforce. Yes. Okay. So it is time for a break. And so when we come back, I do want to talk a little bit more about that because we, we touched on it last time, but I felt that we didn't give it enough time. So we'll be back after this. Dementia will affect a person's ability to drive, creating a loss of independence. Zoom in this morning for a discussion on how to have conversations about the topic early to ease the transition when it's time to retire from driving. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033 or email info.helpline at alzheimerbc.org. For caregivers and people living with dementia, driving and dementia, this morning from 10 to 1130 via Zoom. Eat Healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. 
Youngsters between the ages of 5 and 12 can get an early jump on Halloween at the Prince George Public Library. On Friday, October 20th, which is a non-instructional day, the downtown branch will be offering Cackles and Cauldrons, a spectacular event filled with all things ghoulish and fun. Costumes for Cackles and Cauldrons are encouraged but not required. Come by the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library between 1 and 3 on October 20th for Cackles and Cauldrons, designed for ages 5 to 12, if you dare. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we are back talking with John Brink and talking about value-added manufacturing in the forest sector and, you know, for just the great need to for to have more innovation and, and more development and, and uh, investment in that sector. But John was just saying that one of our big problems is access to skilled workforce. Correct. So, what? Uh, tell me more about that. And you were you were talking about this massive investment that was recently made in BCIT, but it's like we need people here. This is where the forest is. We went through this through the when I was quite involved in it, and and, and in fact, I was the writing president of Prince George's North, and this is Socrates, and uh, you know, and 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 so one of the ones that pushed very hard to get a University of Northern British Columbia, a freestanding university, and it took us quite a battle to do that, and you know all the details behind it, and and but we were collectively successful in doing it, and how we did it is the region got together and behind it and hence we have what we have today mm-hmm. uh, you know so the same may well have to happen with the center of excellence and I call it the center of excellence I already committed a million dollars to it mm-hmm. uh, you know that uh, I think between Canfo Westphalia and Interfor did uh, com- contributed about four or five million dollars to a 250 million dollar investment at, at BCIT that's right and it's how about different. here guys yeah you know so what I'm saying is that Again, we have to collectively do the same as we did with the, with, with the University, University of Northern, because, and I said that, I, I believe uh, time goes by so quickly, it was about 30 years ago, so that I helped in acquiring the building, the uh, Canadian Tire Building, and, uh, and to create a trade and technology center, and they very honored by that, named it after me. But one of the, during my presentation, I said then, that the reason that I invested in it then is that if we have such huge opportunity, not only in forest industry, but in a general sense in northern British Columbia. But in order to attract capital, we must address the issue, not so much do we have railroads, do we have air, do we have roads, do we have the best, absolute best location globally for industry, we have the, the, the resources, but we must have, but is the deterrent is access to a skilled workforce. And we have not still, uh, uh, CNC, uh, trade and technology center. Making innovation. Yeah. The, makes a little bit of a difference, but okay, we so have to go far about? beyond. Like, that. I don't understand what you're talking about because I don't know enough about the industry. What are you talking about when you need a skilled work, workforce? What do you mean? You need tradespeople, you need management people so of all different levels that know not quite the same as we do at BCIT. I think there's 40,000 students there. Yes. But looking at a makeup of what industry are we trying to attract and what are the no-brainer, obvious 
jobs in particular that we are looking for. That means uh, in management and uh, in, in skill sets, may they be, uh, you know, the all, all the skill sets that you need in a manufacturing company. And I can go through all the so different like ones. Engineering. All of that. Okay. I mean, UNBC has established an engineering program, but, but, the, but you're meaning something it, more it than that. It only touches the, the surface there, you know, is that, uh, you know, the, uh, that is not a day that uh, from the time that I started my company in 1975, I've been looking for supervisors, superintendents, people that have on the marketing side, on the management side, every day, even now today, we have an advertisement around the world looking for a production manager in, in the brain group of companies. In fact, I'm, I'm going so far that the ad, is a senior job in production manager, ADHD considered to be an that. asset. I saw that. <laughs> and I mean it seriously. Yes. I because that's what I'm looking for. We are desperate for finding the people. So I make presentations to different people. I say we are desperate for people that we can pay $125,000 to. And then all the hands go, oh, I, I do that. Well, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that want to make the commitments to a career. You know, in terms of, uh, you know, the being developing those skill sets and making mm-hmm. you unique in, in the job that you, if I go back and I look, uh, I got a job when I was 14, became a furniture maker. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and then work with my hands, right? The first, uh, from the time that I was 14 till the time that I, I started my first company with my hands. That served me well. In terms of the company that I have today. Yes. And so you see the School of Excellence would need to be something that focuses on just skill sets. Just the skill yeah, sets. Look, look at the, uh, you know, the looking at it, simply what I'm saying is right now we don't, that, that has been a, a problem for attracting capital in Northern BC for a long time already. So, uh, I cannot lay out exactly the job, but it is fairly obvious what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, you know, that if you, which I presume the city is doing, lo- talking to people and, and that have capital to invest, show us where fiber or the, the resources are for our operations. The next question will be, how about skill sets? Mm-hmm. You know? Have you got areas where we develop school sets? One of the fellows that unfortunately is retiring is uh, Dennis Johnson from uh, the College of New Caledonia. Amazing individual, had uh, an amazingly skill set, and uh, I think he's retiring in the next month yeah, or so. I'm having him on my show, I think, on October 26th. Amazing individual, yes. amazing background, and uh, amazing supportive of uh, further manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And, and the intention center, uh, should talk to him about that. Uh, okay. you know, so yeah. I'm not telling you what to do, but you know, no. well, maybe I am. Maybe you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I think uh, somebody who is uh, hosting a radio show should be able to manage that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really, um, we just have a few minutes left. Um, any last words that you'd want to say to the residents of Prince George? But I say to the residents of Prince George, I came here in July of 65. It's $25.47. Couldn't speak language, didn't know, so didn't have a job. And, and it is a, an area of den of potential. Although 
some of the things that are going on right now are negative. I still believe that we live in the most beautiful place on earth, uh, in Northern British Columbia. I say it all the time in my podcast that I do is, is paradise as far as I'm concerned, but it is also the opportunity for business and to live and to invest in Northern British Columbia. There are still lots and lots of opportunities and the forest industry is not dead. It is in a transition and that means a lot of changes, but I will be here still. I believe in it, still believe in it today, and I will fight for the things that I've been fighting for. Not for handouts and subsidy, but believing that we can add more social and economic value to a changing industry. All right. I think that sums up our time very nicely. Thank you so much, John, for coming on, and I just really appreciate you taking the time for to come in for a second time, and uh, have a wonderful day, everyone. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFISFM Prince George, proudly supported by local organizations like the Multicultural Heritage Society. Check them out online at MulticulturalHeritage.com.